Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome Jill Vanderwood, a writer of six books, speaker all around the world. Uh, Jill, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Ken. Well, good good to speak to you. Good to get a hold of you. I know you hardly can figure out where to start, but I'm excited because of you know your accomplishments. And when you've met fear, I think heights was maybe a fear for you, and then you went and jumped out of a plane that took care of that fear. <laughs> sure did. And it also helped with my public speaking because I had faced another fear. The more fears we overcome, the better. So is that normally, I mean, this is a good place to start right here. Is that normally how you face fears? You uh, you don't hide them. You just go after them and just It took do them? me a long time to decide to conquer the fear of public speaking. But I felt like if I could conquer the fear of skydiving, then I wouldn't be afraid of public speaking. And it really did help me. Let's Let's go way back for a minute. Where did you first get the bug? At what age or whatever that to uh, to write books to to public speak? Where where did this all start? Do you think at what at what age or who inspired you? I think that I was always a writer, but I didn't know it. And then when I had grandchildren, I started telling them stories, and they always wanted to hear Jack and the Beanstalk. So I started telling them that every imaginable way imaginable way and then I started writing stories and putting their names in them and eventually I published them so I really wasn't a writer until I was in my 50s well that's great news because a lot of my listeners have have had probably dreams all their lives uh, they're 60 they're 70 now and uh, they're thinking can I start over or maybe they're 50 you know and they're saying Am I, is it too late? What do you have to say to that? I don't think it's ever too late. If you have a dream and you haven't accomplished it yet, then do it now. I was in my 50s. Now I'm in my 60s, and now I'm speaking in front of big groups. And I never thought that would be possible for me, but I'm enjoying it. And what uh, goes on in your mind when you, when you do public speaking? What... Uh, how do you prep or psych yourself up before a speech? What is it that you tell yourself? Well, one of the things that I tell myself is that I went skydiving from 2,500 feet, so I'm not afraid of these people. I also feel that they're there because they want to hear what I have to say, and I do have things that are important for them to learn. So I'm there for a reason, and they're they're not there to judge me. They're there to learn from me. Fantastic. So you have that rapport. That's how you feel. And that's probably how people react to you. You get what you think. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Good. Good. Okay. So, you know, I hear, I've read, you know, where you picture everyone in their underwear. So now, you know, <laughs> they're not superior to you somehow. So different tricks that uh, speakers have used. But, uh, but in your case, you are picturing 
are seeing that, hey, they called you, you didn't call them, and they want to hear what, you know, how you overcame your fears of public speaking, how you wrote books. So, so you come up with a, with a great attitude. So that's that's really how you're solving it then, is just saying, hey, you need me. I have a great message. And if you hide your message, nobody will benefit from it. And a lot of people die with their messages, I guess, don't they? That's true. I probably would have, too. And that spark the day when you said, okay, that's it. I maybe thought I couldn't write, but I'm going to write, and that's it. What what was that big change in your mind that suddenly you said, hey, I can do this? Well, writing is something different than speaking mm-hmm. for one reason, because you're in a room by yourself writing mm-hmm. on your computer, and it's very safe. So until you start sharing your writing with other people. But... Speaking is you're up there, you're exposed to the group, and if you make a mistake in your speech, they notice it, so you can't have a do-over on it. Mm-hmm. But one of the important things that I think is to have an outfit that you're wearing that you feel comfortable with, because if you're all put together and you know that you look okay, then you're not self-conscious and you're not thinking about Maybe I forgot to fix my hair, or maybe I shouldn't have worn such a short skirt or something like that. You're concentrating on your audience and your message and not on what you look like. Good, good. That first speech that you gave, what was going on in your mind then, and how did you you know, overcome, I'm going to do this? Well, I published my first book. And I was doing a lot of marketing, and I felt like I had a lot of good ideas. So I decided that I would teach a workshop. But then I had never done that before, so I was afraid of it. So I joined Toastmasters, and I got some experience in speaking. And then when I went into the room, I was told by other presenters at the workshops that they only had two people in their audience. And I thought, well, my sister-in-law and my friend are here, so I'll be fine. And when I went into the room, the room filled up. Even the sides of the room filled up. And I was thinking, oh, no, what am I doing? And my mouth was so dry. My teeth were stuck to my lip. And I was just kept taking drinks of water. Then I'd shuffle through my notes, and I made a mistake. And then the papers all fell on the floor. And oh, good. They're happened. really out of order now. <laughs> yeah. So once all those things happened, I just kept going and kept going, and I did the whole hour workshop. And even though I think maybe I didn't do that great, I was so happy because I had accomplished it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, did they invite you back again? Yes, they have. Well, then I guess you didn't do so bad. <laughs> did something right there. I guess so. Some people said that I seemed a little nervous at first, but then they said that I calmed down, and I didn't even think I had calmed down. But somehow you took control of your voice because they thought (laughs) that you did. Yes. Right. So do you still get those butterflies every time before you go out on stage? I do get them a little bit, but it isn't really that bad if you're prepared and you know everything and you don't have notes to shuffle through and You just, you go up there. Oh, I also go into the room ahead of time. That's one of the things I like to do. 
How far? How long ahead? In there. Well, I was giving a keynote speech for the League of Utah Writers, and it was a luncheon. So maybe about eleven o'clock before lunch, I went in there and I got up on the stage and I looked around the room, got the feel of it, and that really helped too. So prepare, prepare. Do you read from your notes a lot, or do you just? Or do you use notes at all, or you just have a one or two words and then go off from there? Yes, I do the bullet points now. Because of that time when I had that problem with my notes, I decided that I'm not doing notes anymore. So, so I you do an overhead points. projector yeah. or, or I, a computer? I don't like to do that, but a lot of people do. And I say that if you are going to do the PowerPoint, then you should also be prepared in your mind on the talk because one time I went to a school to do an assembly and mm-hmm. the school, um, the principal decided to control the clicker and she kept getting ahead of me and then I hadn't memorized it well enough to mm-hmm. know what to say so she had to go through all of them and come back and then she'd do it again. So I say if you're prepared in your mind then you can use a PowerPoint, but otherwise I wouldn't because I've seen too many people say that they lost 30 minutes of their talk because they couldn't get the PowerPoint going right. <laughs> or, the, or the computer won't boot up or something. Yes, there's always something with it. The, the technical end is the killer. All right. So you don't rely too heavily on uh, the technical end of things. I don't. So you do you just write yourself maybe... Uh, 10 or 20 bullet points in front of you and say, okay, uh, books, that's all I need. I'm going to talk about books now and whatever. Is that, is that the sort of thing you do? I like to really I get a it. picture of this. Yeah, okay. Yes, I do. I do bullet points. Maybe First, I write out my whole entire talk word for word, and then I read it through several times and time it so I know how long it's going to be. And then I do this for about three or four days, and then the, maybe the last day, or last two days, I will put everything into bullet points. And there might be a page or two of them at the most. But I'll just say that the day when you finally step on stage, is it anywhere close to the word for word you wrote out? <laughs> no, it's just, it, it's all in my mind by then, so that the words will remind me. So you just it just flows from the top of your head because you've, you've immersed yourself for, for days. Yes. So it's not like... Uh, out of the blue, uh, do you get situations where you're suddenly called upon where you haven't been able to prepare? There are situations like that. In fact, there was a radio interview I was doing, and I was at a gas station when he called to get the interview, and I said, Oh, great. Yeah, email me and the details, and he didn't. And one day I was sitting at my computer, and the phone rang, and he it said in the background, 30 seconds to showtime, and I'm thinking, what? And then he introduced himself, and I had a second to think, oh, yeah, that's what it is, and I was on the air. But I was, had, I had my talk and everything in my mind from other times, so I talked for an hour with him, and it went fine. Okay, and let's just talk about why is conventional wisdom may be wrong about public speaking. 
in what way sometimes is, you know, what the perception of people think about public speaking is totally wrong. Well, people think that they can go through their whole life without ever having to speak in public. But in every walk of life, in every aspect of your life, there's an opportunity for you to speak. And if someone else is speaking, they might not represent your point of view. So if you're a soccer mom, you... um you're in the PTA, you're in a church group, um, or in your business, there are always opportunities where you need to speak. And the best thing to do is to try to overcome that fear and to go to maybe Toastmasters and practice. And if you can do that, then you will be the one that they'll turn to when they want to know about that topic. And I think you applied that to business. If you do the speaking... You may get the promotions the other guy didn't, or maybe elaborate there a bit. Yes, that's true. And I did an interview in my book, Shaking Behind the Microphone, uh, mm-hmm. with a man who was a, he was working as a lobbyist, and when he mm-hmm. first got the job, he couldn't speak. And he completely threw his presentation, and someone had to take over, and he was afraid he would lose his job if he didn't learn to speak. So he did learn to speak, but for a long time they sent somebody with him in case he couldn't make it through. Um, now you you hold workshops uh, for writers. Yeah. What uh, kind of an outline of what goes on? How long is it, and uh, how much is it? Give me an idea there. What you do? Well, I I've given mostly marketing and self-publishing workshops and writing anthologies, and they're usually an hour long. And sometimes I will give that same workshop maybe three times during the conference because some people miss it the first time. Mm -hmm. And I will usually have all kinds of props and things to show them. And I will even do exercises where they have to come up. If I'm doing the public speaking one, I will grab people from the audience and have them pick out a topic out of a bowl and come up and talk and so they're not just safe just sitting in their seat. They have to come up and say something. And that also gives me a chance to take a drink of water and look through my bullet points and that sort of thing. It gives a chance for the ones that fainted there that, to revive them and get them back up. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. What, I mean, everyone must be looking the other way when you start looking for people in the audience to come up. <laughs> <laughs> well... Also, I was taught by one of the people that I interviewed for my book. His name is Barry Mayer, and he writes business books. And he says that if you call are calling on people from your audience to come up and speak or you're having everybody go around the room and introduce themselves, that really helps you at the first part of your presentation to get your bearings because you might be a little nervous then everybody is focusing on what they're going to say, and they're all a little nervous, and then that puts you at ease. <laughs> you transfer the uh, attention to them. Yes. <laughs> okay. So now you get to see how they're reacting. So do you I, – I notice some speakers will say, okay, I want you to introduce yourself to someone you don't know next to you, behind you. Do you do, you do those kind of openings too? I haven't to done people... that, but that's a good idea. Okay. 
I went to a NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming fellow, who that was the first thing he did. He had everyone introducing themselves to each other, and you know, he he sure transferred the tension from from him to us. <laughs> yes, and so that probably really helped helped him be at ease with his thoughts. It probably did, yeah, yeah. All right, and then uh, what kind of props do you use, just out of curiosity? Well, if I'm teaching about writing for children, then I have I have these characters that I made from my stories. They're stuffed animals of of a dog and different things, and I show them, and then I show up pictures, and sometimes I even have on a table a lot of different pictures from magazines, and I'll mm-hmm. have some all the people come and pick one and then write about that picture a little bit and then get up and talk about it. Now, uh, when you do the marketing, what do you use for props there? Um, I I just bring in some of my news articles and things like that. Mostly, I guess they're not really props, but... I'll okay, but they're uh, verifications of who you are and what yeah. you've accomplished. So you've been interviewed on radio, television, newspapers... What was the difference? Was one harder than the other, or how, how did you find all that? Well, I think that we were. I was writing a book with my granddaughter about drugs, and so she was mm-hmm. 15, and we both went on 13 in Utah, mm-hmm. and okay. we were pretty nervous about that going on the TV. <laughs> but and when you when I watched the tape of myself, I could see my leg was going up and down. <laughs> All right. I laughed at myself, but that was the first time, and we were nervous but excited. And we were in the newsroom, and we saw how messy all the guests were, and we're thinking, if that was on the air, nobody would even want to watch this. So it was live. There was no retakes there. That's right. That's one thing about live. <laughs> so, but it turned out fine, right? Yes. And then when they we, played it. And- they did, and they they played it, and. We were really excited about seeing ourselves. And then we were able to look it up online and watch it over. Nice, nice. Um, Now, radio interviews, how do you find that compared to public speaking? I think it's a little bit easier, actually, because you're in your, you could be in your living room, you could be in your pajamas. You could, Mm -hmm. you know, the time zones are probably the hardest thing because sometimes I look. If I have to call, I call the wrong, during the wrong time zone. But that's about the hardest. Um, as long as you know your material, and usually you know what they're going to ask you, basically, because they usually ask you to send some talking points. So mm-hmm. I think it's easier because nobody's even looking at you. So you, your next book could be How to Make a Million Dollars from Your Pajamas. <laughs> it could be. Or Wearing Your Pajamas. I think people are doing that, actually. <laughs> I think it would be pretty comfortable. Now, newspaper, I mean, that's, for me, I would think that would be harder because now your English has got to be really good, uh, I would imagine. Speaking is one thing, writing is another. Uh, well, you know, in a newspaper situation, how are you finding, how did you overcome that, or were you just a great writer to start with? And, well, uh, the newspaper is, is them interviewing me also, so they actually do the editing. If I messed up on my language, then they would just edit it out. But they come right. to your house. They have come right to our house in our living room and interviewed us. And how do you get them to stop 
uh, putting something in there you don't want <laughs> that you said or something. We were told my granddaughter was starting to talk about things that she shouldn't, and I said, um, don't say that. And then she, the reporter said, anything you don't want, I want you to say, this is off the record, and then I won't uh, print it. So you just tell them it's uh, off the record. All right. I think I've heard some interviews, though, like that. Someone will say, this is off the record, and they keep talking, and they record it. <laughs> but I guess it depends what kind of people they are that are doing the interviewing. Have you signed some kind of release or something before you uh, do these interviews normally? I don't remember signing anything. So nothing for radio or television, newspaper, where they said, you know, we own all the rights or whatever. Or this, I, there's no, uh, I don't remember ever signing anything like that. So that's important to my listeners so they know, hey, the, the legalese and all that part is not going to be a problem unless there's money involved. I guess now if you're holding a course, then you want, and they're going to get half the money from everyone that attends or something, then you're going to need some contract. Yeah, that would contract. be a contract. Yeah, then you need a contract. And when you're writing now, you, a book, there's a contract. All right. Okay. But now, when you write a book, did you with your books? Did you self-publish them all, or did you go to? Did you look for publishers, someone to promote you first? I've done both. Do? I've had a couple of publishers, and I've self-published. And one time, we had a publisher who wasn't doing anything for us. I was doing all the promoting. I was doing everything, and plus we were only getting, I think, a dollar a book. So after about six months, we took that book back from him and self-published it. So you had a contract that let you out after a period of time? Yes, and I explained to him, hey, you know, you're not doing anything for me, and I think I would rather just take this book back. And he let me out of the contract. I don't think it's oh. always that easy. And then I have another of... book out that's coming out, and it's with um, National Publisher. What do you think the best way of publishing is? Self-publishing? It probably depends on your topic, but I really do like self-publishing because you control everything. You could, you could actually sell it to a publisher after it's published if you want to. But you also have all your money involved in it, too, because you have to pay someone to do the cover, someone to format, unless you know how to do that yourself, and publish it and do your own promotion. But I like oh. doing that. So. All right. So what do you think of uh, publishing through Amazon and the Kindle books? Well, Amazon, usually you publish through Create, Create Space, and that's an Amazon company. And I've mm -hmm. gone through them for three books, and I really like them. They don't charge you, but you have to have everything ready before you submit it, or you can buy into one of their programs to format your book and do the cover. And I like that because you know how much money you've made. You you can look up your file all the time and see, this month I made this much. Um, so this marketing is doing good. Or if you if you look at it and you've been in the newspaper, you can see how many books you've sold from that and what is actually working. So I do like that. So someone who's brand new but has a great idea, using Amazon's service there, they can take them from I would the book publishing. Always order, I would always get an editor 
before I even do, did anything because if you're new at it, you think your book is really good, but you can't always see your mistakes. So I hire an editor, and I think I pay $2 a page, and she does a really good job. And because of that, I have won many book awards. But if I had done it without the editor, I don't think it would be as good. So $2 a page. Okay. Um, in the show notes, I'm going to put some notes about about our our podcast. Do you want me to put the name of that editor, or you don't want to have them flooded I don't with think orders? She, I don't think she can take new people right now, but they can find an editor. And they also should join a writing group in their area, because that way they can get connections with the people that can help them. Group in their area, because that way they can get connections with the people that can help them. You can also so, put my website on your notes. And I will do that. Give it to me verbally in case, uh, and I'll also put it in the notes, but uh, say it verbally, your website. Jill Vanderwood, V-A-N-D-E-R-W-O-O-D.com. Okay. And, my, and any other? And okay. the title of my book is Shaking Behind the Microphone, Overcoming the Fear of Public Speaking. Okay. And it's available online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Fantastic. Now, uh, that brings up another question in my mind. Now, you have it both at Amazon and Barnes & Noble's. Does not Amazon restrict you, or at least for a period of time, that you can only sell a new book through them if you use their services? They used to. Services. But oh, they don't anymore? Like now, I'm, I don't know if there's a period of time, but now it's showing up on both. It, at no. first, it didn't when I first started. And Kindle is also, I think you pay a little bit to get your book into Kindle, but they help you do it. So writing a book, and I've kind of tied public speaking and, and, and the book all together here, but people can separate the part they want out if they just want the public speaking or just yeah. writing the books. But as far as writing the books, you're, the content is everything. Would that be correct? So in other words, if you've got some great ideas, it doesn't matter how bad your English is. If you get a good editor, you're gonna, it's going to fly. Would that be correct? Well, I would say that sometimes if you don't have any skills in writing, the editor will probably tell you. <laughs> okay. But in, unless you want to get, I think they call it a book doctor. Now, if you're not good at writing at all, there's somebody called a book doctor, and they will actually rewrite it to way the way it should be. Now, do they end up wanting their name on the book? Or they do a ghostwriting kind of thing I for you? I think it's ghostwriting. Okay, and for my listeners, ghostwriting means they've rewritten everything that you've said, but only your name goes in the book and no one knows that someone famous might have helped you. <laughs> yes. No, of course, at the same time, if they're famous, maybe you do want a co-author. That's true. You might want to. But mm, I don't think a, a famous person is really going to be a ghostwriter. They're going to be a ghostwriter. But uh, I've heard that there are some ghostwriters out there that, uh, you know, are doing, I mean, they're not famous, but maybe they're doing fairly well. And yeah. maybe co-authoring yeah. with them might be an idea. 
All right, all right. Um, let's go back to public speaking for a minute. Okay. Um, what what uh, Toastmasters took you from knowing nothing about speaking to the level where you could go speak? Is that correct? Yeah. And how many lessons did it take you, and how long did it take you to to get through Toastmasters to feel comfortable to go on stage? Even though I thought I was comfortable at the first talk, I wasn't really ready. So when you go in there, you have 10 speeches that you give, and you can do them at your own pace, but it it will require certain things. Like one will be you have to use um, props. One will be you, you, oh, your first one is just an introduction, and it's only three minutes. So most of your talks are only five minutes. So in one way, I think that maybe a five-minute talk didn't prepare me for our talk. But it did prepare me as far as being able to get up in front of people. I've got you. So it gets you up to that, gets you up to speed at least. But I guess uh, a practice is really the greatest teacher. Yes. You just have to jump in there and do it. So maybe for a new speaker, he's best to start speaking at a bunch of free places. Yes. Kiwanis Club, schools, somewhere where there's no money, but they like to hear the subject matter even if you're not good yet. Would that be a good way to go? You can speak at libraries. If you have a topic that's of interest, you could speak for anybody. You can speak in front of your dog if you want to practice. All right. I also have a few things that I can tell you about how to get um, public speaking. They're like speakers bureaus. Opportunity. Oh, speakers bureaus. Okay, go ahead. Okay, one is called Speaker Match, and it's a job board for emerging speakers. So you have a profile on there, and if somebody's planning a conference or something, then you have your name there and they they can find you or they send out messages and then you send them your qualification. And is that a paid place or a it free is, one? It is paid. Oh. There's different mm-hmm. levels of payment. So if you're serious, then it might be helpful. All right. And then there was a radio guest list and that's how you found me. Yes. And mm-hmm. you, put a, you can put a profile out there or you can just put out a message that they send through their email services and you'll find radio um, places and the first day that I put mine out I had 11 people call me wow okay now on the in the case of uh, uh, radio guest list uh, is that ever paid or not it's paid but they you can also get free one you can get in their free service where they send you every day um, a message that tells you who's looking for radio guests. So that's also free. But it's a great place to put your profile. Now, the radio guest level, would that be when you know what you're really doing at that point, do you think? or I think if you have a message or a book or a service or you're an expert at something, then you can be on the radio guest list, I think you should, because you're not going to be able to find radio spots by yourself. All right. So my listeners, let's say he is an expert at some really narrow 
niche or niche. So he knows how to raise snails. Is that uh, uh, is that going to be useful in uh, in the radio market? I don't really know because I'm not on the radio. I'm just a guest, but it's possible that somebody will want to talk to somebody with a bizarre hobby. Okay, so there. Uh, well, again, I guess you you put your profile out there and see what happens. It co- now, does it cost? You can put your profile out there for free, or when you get into the profile level, you have to pay have for to the pay. radio uh, guest. Okay. You, you're. Well, I think it's called a sponsored radio guest, something like that. What's the minimum investment to get your profile out there for one day or whatever? Hundred thousand. No, people? mine wasn't for one day. So, I think I paid a hundred and something more than $100 to get it on there, and then $29 a month to keep it on there. Oh, okay. But you said the first day you had how many uh, job offers? 11 um, radio wow. spots, and I did, I think I did all those interviews. That was probably a year ago in November. That was about and November or something like that. So that probably more than paid for your membership. Yes. And, and also, then, if you tell other people about it, I think you They might have an affiliate program? They might have an affiliate program. And again, for my listeners, affiliate program is you promote someone else's product for 500 uh, and they give you 250 of it because you referred the person over. So uh, affiliate uh, income can be pretty sizable, <laughs> depending you know what it is. Now, you've got read that you have some non-traditional treatments for fear of public speaking. What would they be? I interviewed a woman who is a nutritionist, and she mm-hmm. always suffered from fear, well, all kinds of fears and anxieties, and she would have anxiety attacks. And she found out that there were certain things in her diet which were making her suffer worse. So she went on a gluten-free diet and changed a lot of things in her nutrition, and she overcame that anxiety. So I think so the, the food book. directly re- linked. Yes, and I am also gluten-free, and when I was talking to her, we found that maybe around the time I was able to conquer my fear was about the time I had given up gluten, too. So it, wow. I'm thinking it might be... A legitimate thing. Also, I interviewed a hypnotist, and he says he's about 90% accurate in um, helping people with their fear of public speaking. Any other unusual uh, methods for fear of public speaking? Oh, the man that we were talking about earlier possibly was um, Dan Nainan, and he worked for Intel Corporation, and he had to get up on stage and he had to demonstrate products. But he was so afraid, and he was going all over the world and demonstrating products with the CEO of the company, and so he went to a comedy class, and the comedy helped him to overcome fear of public speaking. And now Dan has performed for President Obama and Donald Trump with his comedy, and he doesn't work for Intel anymore. He's a professional comedian. So this is one of your graduates from your course? <laughs> well, no, he's the one that I interviewed for the book. I have 
interviewed, I think there's about 40 people that I interviewed for the book and added their stories to mine about how they overcame the fear of public speaking. Oh, that's that's going to be a great book. Yes, yes. Um, now, you can get that in bookstores, too. Then. I mean, you can get it at Barnes & Noble's online, uh, Amazon online, but uh, probably bookstores, too? You can order it from a bookstore. If they don't okay. have it on the shelf, you can order it. And it's called Shaking Behind the Microphone, Overcoming the Fear of Public Speaking. And my name is Jill Ammon Vanderwood. Now, I noticed here, too, that you had something about how to save a speech if, you know, your notes are all screwed up or you, your wardrobe, you have a wardrobe malfunction, <laughs> uh, how to recover. Okay. I was talking to Barry Mayer, who is a business speaker, and he says that if you don't get riled up, then your audience won't either. So when I was speaking at a school, I had to go out of town, so... I brought my clothes with me, and I forgot to hem my pants. So when I put them on, they went way below my shoes, mm -hmm. and I couldn't go out like that. So I stuck on a pair of boots that I had, snow boots because it was snowy anyway, and tucked the pants in. And then I used that as part of my talk because I had written a book for children about a grandmother who does crazy things. It's called Through the Rug. And I told him that I was also one of those type of grandmothers that always does crazy things. Then I showed him how long my pants were, and they laughed a little bit, you know. Right. Make so, it part of your talk and just keep going. But if he was at a, the Barry that I was talking about was at a conference. Oh, he was watching this, this speaker, and the man lost his place, and he had the whole thing memorized. And then he didn't know what to do. So he asked his wife if she would go through her notes and find his place. And it was too dark. She couldn't see it. So he just stood there and <laughs> he got was worse. having a meltdown. And the whole audience was feeling bad. And then he didn't know what to do. So finally he just kept going with his talk, where whatever point he could think of. And then when he remembered that, he went back, and it wasn't even relevant anymore. So Barry says, if you will just keep, just think of the last thing you said, or even you can even ask the audience, what was I saying before this, you know? And sometimes the audience will help you. Or you can say, I forgot that point, but we'll go back to this later, and then just go on with what the keep next thing you remember. But don't stand there and... <laughs> Make everybody feel sorry for you. Right. Okay. Uh, and then he maybe learned something from that, too, that, hey, he could ad-lib. Yes. Because I don't right. think it's a good thing just to memorize word for word, either. Yeah, it's pretty hard to put a lot of emotion in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go back to your books for a minute. Okay, you've published, is it six books now? Yes, I think. I think the sixth. And you're probably working on your seventh. <laughs> yeah, the seventh one is with the publisher. And that one is called Erase the Problem of Bullying. Oh, well, that's a very popular subject right now, that's for sure. Yes, and I interviewed a lot of people. I, I do a lot of anthologies, so this one has my story of being bullied, and then it has stories of people that I know, young people, and then even some actors and 
Hollywood people are in there and models and NBA all-star basketball player who's retired told about how it was like to be um, seven feet tall in junior high and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And all these stories together and then even cyberbullying we talk about. And, oh, yeah, and people that. committing suicide. And, oh, yeah. Would this be right? I mean, you've studied the, the subject, but here's a conclusion I've kind of thought is that all the bullies were bullied, too. That's where they got it from. That's true. A lot of them were. And they didn't start out as bullies, but they learned <laughs> to become that's, one. That's true. And a lot of them were um, treat, mistreated at home or had a really bad home life. Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's go to, okay, that's your book you're just finishing now. Let's go back. We'll work our way back for a minute. Book six, what was the name of that? I think book six was the public speaking book. And before that, it was Drugs Make You Unsmarter. And what age group was that for? That's for teenagers, uh, young adults. All right. So you use a bit of a slang there they can relate to. (laughs) And, yeah, my granddaughter is on the cover of the book, and she was 15 at the time. She's now 19. And she had a home life that was really bad and a father in prison. And she told about her life and then how... Um, it affected her and how she chose not to do drugs. You must have been a great influence on her. I think so. And she lived with me for about three years. Oh, wow. Okay. So you, yeah, you were, you were mom. That's, that's great. Yeah. There's a lot of stories. Grandmothers had to take over and did a lot better job than a lot of the moms did. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's <laughs> the society we're in. Let's go back to the book before that. What was that on? Um, what's it like living green? Kids teaching kids by the way they live. In that age group, where it was, um, or? it well, it's actually for families, but it's I would say probably young adults. I um, feature kids who started their own environmental organizations at a young age, and like Ryan, I can't remember his last name right now, but. He started Ryan's Well Foundation, and he built wells with clean water for African villages. Oh, I love those. And then I have a girl who started Save the Rain Forest, and she was only nine when she lived in Costa Rica, and she started an organization to save the rain forest. Um, So I interviewed a lot of these kids and put their stories in there, and added stories of families who live green and tips for families who want to be more environmental and that sort of thing. All right. And the book before that? I think it was, um, I wrote two books in a series, and they're called Through the Rug and Through the Rug Too, and they're my fiction books. And Mm -hmm. it's about a grandmother who went to cooking school, and she actually was learning magic. She didn't realize it. And... She did a formula to clean the dog, and it turned the dog pink and green. And then her formula expanded onto the rug, and she fell through into a magical place called Wishville, where all their wishes are granted. Wow. And there's two books in that series. And what age group is that for? That's, I'd say, 8 to 12. And are we missing one book yet? Well, there's a picture book 
And it's no longer available, I don't think, but it's called Sarah the Pineapple Cat, The San Francisco Adventures of Sarah the Pineapple Cat. And this was a man who was looking for authors and illustrators, and he was going to have a different author and a different illustrator for each book in his series of, about a cat who did adventures. Mm-hmm. And I answered his ad, and I wrote the book, um, The San Francisco Adventures of Sarah the Pineapple Cat. I wanted to see if I could use um, someone else's character and, you know, write into a series, and it was kind of a fun thing to do. So he owns the rights to the books, he the does. book, or you or do you? He, he does. does. Okay. So uh, couldn't you go to him and say, "Well, if you're not using it, let me buy it for five hundred or something"? Or? I don't know because it's there's a whole series, and I'm just one book. I probably could. I mean, if you really wanted to, but maybe it's easier to just go write another book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I think so. <laughs> that might be the easier way to go. All right. Okay. What do you think, well, what has worked better for you? And I, I know it's probably some people have done far better with fiction and others have done far better with nonfiction. But uh, what what do you think from the dollar point of view? Because you know my listeners, they need to make money and uh, they, they may want to pursue, if they have the ability to write and they're willing to write fiction or nonfiction, what would you recommend they start with? I would say whatever they're passionate about, but if they're an expert in something, they should probably write a book on what they really know. And okay, if, so even if they're not passionate, okay. Yes. With, with the way that I write anthologies, I, I could just be interested in something and not know that much about it, and then find people who were experts to give gotcha. their stories, and or put their expertise with mine, and then make a book that way. So if they don't have enough information to write their own book, they can find other people to contribute, and people are willing to. So that's fairly easy to find. Okay. So let's... Okay, I've never written a book. I am formerly an accountant. I was really good at accounting for uh, farms. How fast, what would be reasonable if I was to take let's say 15 hours a week and and say, okay, I want to write this book right now. I'm going to spend 15 hours a week doing it. How quick would it be reasonable to have that book up and running and listed on Amazon, let's say? Well, I would say six months to a year. Wow. So it's not an overnight thing. No, it isn't overnight. Unless you, I don't know, I, I don't know very many people that write them that fast, but you you could probably write a lot of words in 15 hours a week. So then a book would be, I would say, at least 50,000 words. Okay, let's go with a mini book here. <laughs> yes. So you're going to create a book that's uh, 10,000, 15,000 words because you want to get, you know, to see if people like the way you write and see if there's an audience for what you do know. So... Could that be done in a month? I think so. Especially if you have writing skills or have someone to look over it to make sure it's right. I think that it is a good idea to have a book on your topic out fast if it's a mini book. 
All right. Okay. Because, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. A lot of the gurus today are saying get a, a minimal product out there. Don't don't create a product that has 50 features. Create one that has one and see if anyone's interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, a good idea. Well, I'm, I'm thinking maybe for any new aspiring writers right now, uh, that would be the way to go. Now, okay, you we're going to take one of our audience, and they, they've never spoken before, but they're you know they've they're very knowledgeable. Again, they're they're an expert on accounting for farms. How quick can someone like that start making money public speaking or getting on the radio or or you know starting to cash in on his his knowledge? I would say first have a book or a product. Okay. And then, and then go from there. So, so a book. What, what other product? What other products then? But let's say a book or a product. What kind of product for this um, account? A workshop. You could put on a CD or something. Something that about your topic. Okay. Well, well we're, I'm I'm taking someone that's done this kind of accounting all his life. And he's an expert at it, but he's never really spoken in front of anyone, and never so he really doesn't have, you know, any any uh, background material at this point. He just wants to start off. So the first thing you would recommend is writing the book. Yes, yes, that makes you um, a credible expert. And you become so an expert. For some reason, it? once you have a book on a topic, you can become the expert on that topic. So I wrote that book last week. I haven't even found out what, how it's going to sell. Does that matter? Just the fact I got the book makes a difference. Yes. Okay. Because you have something behind you. You Okay, you you say, I'm a radio expert. I wanted to be interviewed. I have this book, this product. But if you're being interviewed and you don't have anything um, tangible, then nobody's going to promote you. Or you, there's nothing to promote you. Right. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, maybe you could just have a blog or something. But that yes, you could have a blog. So a blog would work. Sometimes you can make money with a blog. All right. If you're expert on the topic. Okay. All right. So, but that's not something you focus on yourself. I haven't gotten that far yet. So we have my listeners, and they need to make an extra. You know, five hundred a month, thousand a month, whatever. They think they could be taught to speak, and they could probably write to some reasonable degree with an editor. Uh, the first step then for them is to write a book. Yes, I would say. Okay, or write a mini book, something, get it out quick to see how it goes over. Okay. Then the next step would be to get, get radio interviews, radio guest list, or get. Get it, radio or newspaper. There's also a local newspaper called the Valley Journal. Most areas have so a mm-hmm. local paper, and they okay. love to interview people that are from their area. So. Okay, so get, so all those free newspapers they give out in different communities, mm-hmm. uh, phone every one of them and get interviewed. You don't have to write the article yourself. They will yeah, just get, you. Yeah. yeah, just let them interview and let them do the writing. All right. Okay, so that gets your name out real quick. What else would you do locally? Um, I would write. I write articles on the topic, mm-hmm. and that can be on a blog or on. Uh, there's a site called American Chronicle, and anybody can write on that. 
and get your articles out there. So that when so it's American AmericanChronicle.com. Yes. So that when somebody searches for your topic on the internet on Google, your name will come up. That's what your goal should be. All right. Now, would you recommend setting a hourly rate right away for a private consultation or something like that? It sounds like a good thing. I don't know how to do it, but it does sound like a good idea. All right. Well, I mean, again, you've been you've done really well with the part. We can't use all the technology out there, and we can't use all the ideas. There isn't enough <laughs> time. Technology yes. comes out faster, and we can figure out how to use it. Let's yes, face it. That's true. But if you can master two or three things, radio interviews, public speaking, you can make a living, would you say? I mean, you, you can make a reasonable living yes. fairly quickly. I think so. That's with your topic. If your topic is popular, that makes all the difference. All right. Now, the, for the person that says, oh, I've just worked odd jobs all my life, and, you know, I've done... I've learned a lot of things, but I don't think I'm an expert at anything. But, you know, I've, I've had a great life, and, you know, I think I have a story. Do you think that they have potential also so that they don't feel, oh, I've never done anything that was important enough or whatever? But, you know, I believe everyone has a story myself. But what, how do you feel about someone starting out like that? I think you have to start somewhere, and I think you should start. If you have a story, you should tell it. There's a lot and of every, people that are living as storytellers. So you can tell other people's stories yes. <laughs> if you don't want to tell your own. <laughs> you can. And like you say, the anthologies, well, that's something, if you didn't think you were important enough in a, or had enough knowledge to interest people, you can write about, uh, interview 10 people on a subject and put them all in your book, like you said. So now you don't have to be an expert in anything. That's right. My interest in um, Living Green came from, I was involved in the very first Earth Day. And I saw that on the news one night, and I thought, I wonder if we've really made a difference in this world since the first Earth Day. So I decided to think about writing a book about that, but I wasn't an expert on it. Mm -hmm. So I found all the experts. All the ideas came to me. I think I woke up the next morning with the idea to write that book. Wow. So you got, I mean, you had the thought one day and you were writing the book and interviewing people within a couple of weeks after yes. that. Yes. And then how fast did the book come together that you were ready to publish it? I don't know. Most of my books took maybe six months to a year because I don't. I start out thinking I'm going to write a really short book like you were talking about, mm -hmm. and I end yep. up writing a longer book. A big long Yeah. <laughs> a full-length full uh, deal. Okay, but if you shorten it down or whatever, then if, in other words, if you're 60,000 words, it's going to take six months. Uh, 10,000 words might take one month. That's true. So, you, again, if you've got lots of time and you want to do the long book, but I think, as we already discussed, let's get something of uh, a minimal size so you can find out what the reaction is out there to the people and you say, wow, that worked, then you can keep going. And if that subject didn't work, you can switch subjects. But if you spent uh, 10 years writing a book and then no one wants it, you wasted a lot of time. That's true. And <laughs> I think it took me that um, five years for my first book because 
I didn't know anything about writing, and I would mm-hmm. throw it in the drawer for a while, and then I'd get it out, you know. And then I'd have people look at it and redo it. My friend of mine has the same problem. He keeps starting and starting, but he just can't seem to get the book out. But just do it, it sounds like. So, Jill, just for parting words, what would be the the message to all these baby boomers that are listening to this broadcast today? If you are an expert on something, I think you should write a book and speak about it. And people are out there that want to hear your words. So don't be afraid. Get up and do it. I did it, and I'm I'm over 60 years old now, and I'm still doing it. That's great inspiration. I really appreciate speaking to you, Jill, and I look forward to interviewing you again in the future when you have another few more books under your belt and I'm sure many more new ideas. But thank you for this day and good luck and God bless you. Thank you very much, Ken. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.